Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Fuel Your Fandom podcast. My name is Saint. I want to thank you guys for coming back with us here. Uh, it is week 375 of the quarantine lockdown, or at least that's what it seems like. And uh, so we're just going to keep plowing ahead and trying to find things to talk about and do our little social distancing uh, podcast, as it were. A little different than when we used to talk face-to-face, but it's a bit more convenient for my guests, which I guess is something to be said for that. So, uh, again, if you need to look for us, we're on anchor.fm forward slash fuel your fandom, or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fuel your fandom, or the newly designed uh, fuelyourfandom.net, or Seattle Wave Radio, or or Instagram at, at fuelyour. We're, we're kind of everywhere. We're, we're getting out there. So, but anyway, enough about all that. So today I am joined with comic book writer extraordinaire, Mr. Brandon Jerwa. Brandon, how you doing? Uh, I, I'm all right. I think, uh, you know, the days kind of blend together now. So, oh, I know uh, it's just like one big hellish blur, but I assume it's almost Halloween. Is that right? Do I have that right? <laughs> uh, or it could be New Year's. I don't know. Uh, it, it all seems the same and, and, and I feel like I need to drink more because of it, but instead I focus on, on doing the podcast. So I, I'd like to welcome you to fuel your fandom. Uh, Brandon, you. you, you are, uh, for a large chunk of your professional career, uh, a comic book writer. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. I've probably, well, yeah, no, I've probably done that more than I've done anything else. Well, even, and, even now I, I've noticed that you do a lot of other things as well. I mean, one of the things I, I, I did a little research as much as I could find. You're hard to find on the internet, as it turns out. Uh, That's fine. Which is, <laughs> which is weird. That's perfectly fine. We've known each other uh, off and on for a little, almost like 10 years or so. And, and so yeah. uh, I, I know enough. Uh, I just wanted to kind of do my homework. I try to do my homework beforehand. And uh, I found a lot of the comic book work that you've done. But I also uh, I, I found out that you are a vocalist as well. Is that correct? That is, that is true. Uh, I, uh, actually, I, I was a musician before I started, uh, writing comics. Uh, I, I actually really started becoming a, a serious musician. Like when I was about 16, uh, the, the choir at my high school, uh, had two Yamaha, uh, keyboards in the back room. And, my my friend and I really, you know, we we love new wave music and, and industrial and electronic, and and we asked if we could play around with them, and and the choir director said, uh, sure. Nobody else was using them. Uh, they get trotted out, you know, once a year to assist uh, with orchestra shows or whatever, and uh, so we literally in high school had a uh, we had our own band practice space in Mark Morris High School in Longview, Washington. And like we could come and go as we pleased. We'd stay after school. We taught ourselves how to sequence and and how to write music and and uh, use synthesizers. And then uh, that ended up being, you know, I, I wouldn't say a hugely successful career for me, but uh, over the years I've had bands, uh, Omnibox, SD6, Back into the Left, uh, and Hibernaut and Relay. And now I have a new musical project called Later Humans. Uh, actually have an EP worth of material being uh, recorded uh, or being mixed right now. Sorry. And uh, I just recorded a cover of 
Ashes to Ashes by Faith No More with a Scottish electro group uh, called Last Survivor. And uh, there are some think, clips out there of that. That was the one I just recently saw you posting yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious. Because uh, yeah, they, uh, I, I really yeah, they enjoy, came to me and asked me to do that. I really enjoy Faith No More. So uh, that that's kind of a cool thing. Uh, I have to tell you that uh, they they were looking for someone to sing that song in particular uh, and had kind of put it out into the world. And I, I am familiar with this band. Uh, weirdly, I, I know uh, Declan from the band, this Scottish musician guy. I know him because he's a big G.I. Joe fan. Okay. Uh, and I once, did a, I once uh, made a shout out to his band in a G.I. Joe comic. Uh, just because I thought he was a cool dude and I, I liked his music. Did I just say cool dude? I'm sorry. I'll turn in my card. Uh, but uh, it ended up that he he uh, he did a remix for my band SD6, and then I ended up doing the vocals on this. Uh, I, I'm an okay singer. I can sing. I can hold my own. I will tell you that song, Ashes to Ashes, that Faith No More song, is the hardest song I've ever had to sing. And I recorded the vocals at home, and I guarantee you – that my girlfriend and daughter never want to hear that song again because the chorus, uh, the chorus has real big notes in it. And it, there are, there are certainly vocal takes that I recorded that I would never want anyone else to hear (laughs) because I am, I am screeching and, and bending all over the place. And it's terrible, God awful. And I, I'm shocked they didn't fire me off the song. Uh, and I literally had to just teach my voice how to, how to get those notes out. And it was not easy. And I almost gave up a couple of times. So Mike Patton, mad respect. Uh, you got some good pipes on you kid. And I think you're going to go real far. I hope faith no more succeeds someday. Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of fun. I've heard of them. I got to pass yeah. familiarity with them, you know. Um, yeah, Last Survivor did a crazy thing on their Facebook page. They took audio of me and put it over a live performance of Ashes to Ashes by Faith No More so you can see Mike Patton's face, but it's my voice coming out. And it's cool, but it's deeply, deeply creepy. <laughs> I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. Now, I, j- I myself just went through the process of we, me and my band, Another Sentiment, we just recorded our EP. And uh, I had kind nice. of... Mu- a very similar kind of uh, experience when I was recording some of the, I do a lot of uh, extended hold screaming, like really like at the top mm. of my voice and just for length. And uh, we had a couple of different takes where, I mean, and, and I'm recording in a, in a room with headphones on and, and, and not really any musical backing other than what's in my ears. And so for all intents and purposes, I'm just this, wildly flailing screaming bald metal <laughs> idiot in a room and i'm sure my my bass player uh shane it's his house i'm sure his neighbors thought somebody was being hurt but uh it's a lot of fun <laughs> is this a is this a is this a strong bad situation is this a and the dragon comes in the night kind of, <laughs> Jesus. Kind of metal. <laughs> no no i i can't quite get that kind of tone it's more akin to like uh your hell yeahs or your Panteras or okay. that, that kind of uh, genre. So, but it's a lot of fun. So, anyways, uh, I'm gonna have to look up that Lone Survivor video just to see how deeply creepy it was. So, last survivor, last, last survivor. My bad. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, so many survivors. It's just not regular survivor. I have the tiger. It's not that. <laughs> <laughs> and I just said my bad, so I got to turn in my card as well. So yeah, it's okay. 
but uh, okay, so um, we met about I want to say ten years ago, maybe a little bit more than that, uh, at an Emerald City right. Comic Con, and uh, I was introduced to you through uh, Eric Trotman, who was uh, on our show about oh a week before this whole uh, Black Death thing settled in over the entire world. Um, so I had mentioned that I'd been trying to book you, and he's like, "Why would you want to do that?" And <laughs> and uh, I, everyone has a very a, a big love for you, including. Uh, BJ Shea, who I talked to uh, uh, yesterday or day before yesterday. Yeah, I had BJ record for my podcast, which is being released tomorrow. Uh, I assume he just talked about Star Trek for forty-five minutes. Uh, Star Trek and board games, but we had a uh, we had a really good conversation about uh, mental health uh, as well, and it was he's he's gracious as all hell, and 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 I think anyone who knows him knows that. So unless you're from uh, yeah, Boston. you know. Hey, unless you're from Boston, right? Yeah. Uh, no, the first time I ever saw BJ's Boston come out, it was it was weird. Uh, it's a, there's a different guy in there, uh, and he's from Boston. Uh, but uh, no, you know, I have to say, like Troutman and I, we obviously have done a lot of work together, and he really is my best friend uh, in the whole wide world. Probably uh, hasn't been there as long as some of the other best friends, you know. But but uh, we we've, we've managed to put a lot of friendship. Uh, into uh, the time we've had together. Uh, as for BJ, like, you know, you may know this, but uh, he has the Geek Nation podcast, and I was, uh, I was a guest on that podcast. Like, they, they had me in, I think I was the geek of the week, uh, is, is what the, uh, the premise was. And, you know, I, I was a radio DJ, I was a morning DJ, uh, ironically for the same company that BJ works for, Intercom, uh, years prior. And they just sort of, asked me back and then I ended up staying for years. I remember uh, you being a part of that and, and I had wanted to contact you and, uh, and try to get on the podcast at one point or another, but it's just a matter of it, the timing just never seemed to work out. So, yeah, no, it's, uh, I was on three times a week on the main show and then I had my own spinoff show with Mark Ronner called special ops. Uh, and yeah, we did that for years and BJ like, BJ, if you are if you are in the BJ family, uh, like he really really looked after me and took very good care of me. And like when 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 we first started working together, I was literally at the lowest point of my life. Like you know, marriage had just ended, and I was super crazy depressed and just all over the place and a real wild card in general that the whole world was having to deal with. And uh, I don't know, he just. Uh, he really gave me a, a home to go to and uh, really helped me g get it together. And uh, I will be eternally grateful for that. Plus he, you know, allowed me to talk endlessly in a record format and make other people listen to it. And when you have an ego as big as mine, that's a very valuable gift. Well, yeah, I, I was, I, I agree. BJ, he's a, he's got a singular talent for being a, a, a go-to guy, a stand-up guy. And yes. I was, I was reminding him at one point uh, about, I want to say about eight years ago, uh, me and uh, I was in a tool tribute band and uh, me and my guitar player uh, actually went in and sat in. Remember when they used to have people sit in on the BJ Shea show? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You bet. We went in and we sat in the studio and, you know, he threw it to us to introduce us. And so uh, we're like, oh, hey, we're from uh, 46 and 2. We're a tribute to Tool. And 
you know, I'm the, I'm the vocalist this is my guitar player and my bass player couldn't make it uh, because uh, he couldn't leave the house. He was like working and uh, he's like, Oh, so uh, who's the drummer? And I was like, well, that's funny. You mentioned that our drummer actually just quit like two days ago. So uh, we're kind of in looking for a new drummer and like, didn't think anything of it, but then all of a sudden about uh, 10 minutes later, Rev comes in and hands us a slip of paper. And on the slip of paper is like 10 to 15 names of people who have called into the station and want to audition to be a, a drummer for our band. Wow. Which was cool. Wow. That is actually how we did find a drummer that we worked with for a little over a year for that, through that. So uh, BJ Shea is connecting people all over the place. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, he uh, <laughs> he's a, a man with uh, with a big big Rolodex. All right, enough about kissing BJ's butt. Let's let's talk about comic books. That's what we want to talk about, right? Sure, sure. What got you into comic book writing? If if we can just start at the beginning. Uh yeah okay uh you know it's it's really funny that because uh, I learned how to read from comic books. I mean I read other books too, but. Uh, I uh, I learned to read at a very early age, and I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that my parents didn't limit what I was reading. You know, like if if I was willing to pick it up and try to read it, they were all for it. Uh, oh. And and comic books played a, a big part of that. Um, and so that they were always a presence in my life. Uh, Several years ago now, and I, I always say several years because I've been saying several years when I tell this story every time. So it's probably been 30 years now, I guess, maybe 20. But uh, <laughs> I found an article. I found an article in the Longview Daily News uh, from when I was in the eighth grade. And I had just won the district spelling bee. And there was an article about me because, you know, that's celebrity status when you live in a town like Longview. Uh, and I was going to go on to the district spelling bee. And, and it said, I'm in the eighth grade now. It said, Brandon collects comic books and would like to write them someday. Huh. So I, I guess I, it was in my head very, very early on uh, as, as to how it happened. It's, that story's even dumber. Um, by some standards, I'm sure <laughs> I was, uh, it was 2002 and I was living in Portland, Oregon with my then wife and our son who was, uh, three, maybe two. And, uh, I, we had moved to Portland so my wife could take a job. I had been a radio DJ and, uh, at the time radio was dying, and, you know, for all intents and purposes, according to whatever standard you measure these things, because we hadn't quite hit streaming yet, you know, uh, and so radio was just radio. And I was considered by the unemployment department, the labor department of Oregon, to be a displaced professional, because my job didn't exist anymore in the tr traditional sense, in that, you know, you know, nobody was out there tripping over uh, excessive radio jobs. So they said, you can look, you can look for any job you want. You can change your career. And, uh, I, I told my wife, I was like, Hey, I want to try to write comic books. And she's like, uh, okay. Uh, and she was very, she was very encouraging to be fair. Uh, but so I would stay home with the kid and she would go to work and I, I didn't know what a comic book script looked like. Uh, I, I had to go to the dark horse website and find a sample 
Uh, and then I just copied the sample. I just, you know, copied the format. And uh, a company called Devil's Due had just obtained the G.I. Joe license. Uh, and they were rebooting a series. They were doing a new series that was a continuation of the Marvel book from when I was a kid, which was chapter and verse Bible to me. Uh, it was, you know, everything. And so I, uh, I sent them a letter of inquiry, like, you know, <laughs> dear sirs, uh, <laughs> I would like to write a comic book and, uh, I would love it if you would entertain, uh, reviewing a sample of my work. And I think I've you seen know, those guys at the like Comic-Cons. A, oh yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, uh, and they, uh, they very nicely came back to me and they're like, sure. And now I know in my head, they were like, <laughs> okay, dude, whatever. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh, so I sat down and wrote, uh, I wrote two scripts uh, for a two-part story, and they uh, ended up buying them. Uh, so the first thing I ever wrote got sold, and they positioned me to have my two-part story in a, an anthology series called G.I. Joe Frontline. And when I got in the meeting with the editor, uh, well, the publisher, they didn't have an editor at the time, true story. I got in a meeting with the publisher and he says, okay, your story's four parts, right? And I went, yep, it sure uh -huh. is. Yes, absolutely. I went and wrote two more parts. <laughs> uh, uh, and then they hired me again to rewrite the dialogue on a different issue of Frontline that had been written by some TV writers who, well, let's just say there was a line in the script that said, Snake Eyes says, and uh, Snake Eyes can't talk. Uh, so that needed a little work, uh, but then they offered me the main series and, uh, that's it. I ended up getting the main series and, uh, my career in comics was launched and it, it took a while because, you know, the, the way I came onto the scene, like wizard magazine did a little blurb on me and they totally made it sound like I'd won a contest or something. <laughs> Lucky fan, right? GI Joe, not, not writer gets job. <laughs> you know, uh, so it took a while to shake that whole stigma of I was just some golden ticket kid, you know. He just stumbled in to get a shot at the big time. Yeah. But I, I mean, it, that is kind of how it happened. So I guess I get it. Uh, so it took years for people to take me seriously and then learn to be sick of me. So, you know, it's a process. Uh, I've always, uh, I, I've read quite a few of the things that you've published. In fact, uh, one of the things I'd like to talk about, and, and we could circle back around to it either later or we could talk about it now, but uh, the, thi the thing that I kind of noticed with your uh, career path in comic books is that you, uh, you've, you've attached yourself to a lot of things that have a built-in fan base. You've attached yourself to a lot of projects that are refreshes or reboots or continuations. Uh, for instance, uh, just going down a few of the list, uh, uh, you did uh, Battlestar Galactica. Uh, you did uh, G.I. Joe, which of course we've just mentioned. Uh, you did an Army of Darkness uh, run, didn't you? I did. Well, I did a Xena Army of Darkness crossover, and it was a sequel to a previous Xena of Army and Army of Darkness crossover. Uh, which was an interesting challenge because when it was offered to me, I had never seen an episode of Xena in my life. And so you, did you sit there uh, and do a cram session? And I sure did. I, I sure did. And, and, you know, thank God it was mythology based. So at least I knew, you know, some of what I was getting into, but uh, yeah, I did that. And, you know, the thing is like licensed properties. Right. And I, I think that, that what happened there was 
GI Joe, you know, you come in and you work on GI Joe and, you know, not only do you have to please the publisher, but you have to please the owner of the property. And so I did that. And then I got, you know, Battlestar Galactica and Highlander and that sort of thing. A lot of work with dynamite, which was, you know, really, really great. Uh, and I became kind of a licensed property guy. And I think that I, I like to think that that comes from, you know, seeing that, that I will treat a property with respect and, and, you know, try to make something that, that pleases the fandom, uh, and also, you know, serves the property. And, and honestly, like, I don't write a lot of comics now and it's not because I chose not to, I just moved on to other things, but that whole thing of licensed properties, like that has carried over into my game work now. Like I've worked on a men in black game and I wrote the Britney Spears game and I was the story editor at NBC universal for a series, which was a choice based mobile game that had a ton of licensed properties like breakfast club and law and order and 16 candles and bridesmaids and you know, all that kind of stuff. So I'm still the licensed property guy. I'm just kind of doing it, you know, for a different for way. Different mediums. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I noticed, but it's all the same thing, really. Yeah, you were living down in uh, in L.A. doing uh, working for was it for your uh, glue GLU? Uh, no, glue was here. Uh, oh, that was okay. the Britney Spears game. That was in Bellevue. I, I moved to L.A. Uh, in September. Oh, that's what Universal. Eighteen. Yeah, that yeah that was NBC Universal, uh, where I came on to be the uh, the story editor for series, and then they shut down the game team, and I'm back in Seattle. <laughs> Well, I mean, their loss is our gain, I, I assure you. But uh, what would you say uh, is your favorite property that you've worked on? Uh, now, I know you've worked on a lot of, like we talked about, the licensed properties. But uh, over and above that as well, uh, what would you say was your favorite thing to work on? Well, <laughs> uh the unfortunate answer to that uh, that doesn't lend itself well to what we've been talking to is my, my favorite thing that I've ever worked on is shooters, uh, which I, is, I was going to talk about that, that book. I loved working on GI Joe. Uh, I very rarely, there's been a couple things I've done that I'm like, well, this isn't as fun as I would have hoped, but uh, nothing I've ever just, you know, outright not enjoyed. Uh, I will say that the thing that I was the most surprised by falling madly in love with was Vampirella. Um, and that's a case where, you know, Troutman relaunched Vampirella for Dynamite a few years ago and was just cooking on that book. Just so good. Mm -hmm. And I got called in to do either a fill-in issue or an annual. I can't remember which came first. And then uh, they came and talked to me about just taking over the book. Like it was, you know, they had talked to Eric about it. He knew he was leaving. It wasn't like I replaced him in the sense that he was shuttled off. Uh, he was he was ready to go, I think. But what I love about Vampirella is that I was able to do really whatever I wanted. Um, because, you know, it's a horror book, but it's a superhero book, and it can be science fiction, it can be funny, it can, you know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful palette and a great character that I, I would, I'd write Vampirella right now again if I could. Anytime, anyplace, anywhere, I'm on board. But um, she wasn't a character that I, I, I mean, like, I was obviously very familiar with her, uh, especially the older stuff, um, and I, but it wasn't a character that I, I ever thought in a million years I would write, you know, that's just not, I'm not the guy you call for that. And I, 
I ended up having a really good time. And, and there was a, 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 about a year, I guess, probably about a year all told where Troutman and me and Mark Rahner were all working on Vampirella projects. So like I could go have lunch with Troutman and we could talk about stuff we're doing at Vampirella. I could go meet Rahner at the bar and we could, we could have conversations and we'd all like, you know, cherry pick from each other. And, you know, so me, me and my friends were all doing comics together and that was pretty fun. That's a pretty awesome kind of a synergy that you could work on there. Yeah. Um, uh, work with I, your friends if you can, man. Always work with your friends. That's why I do this. Uh, because, I mean, most of my friends don't want to work in grocery retail. So I have to do something. <laughs> Especially now. Uh, yeah, I was going to say. How long does it take, typically speaking, for you to write a script for one particular book do you write them one at a time or do you go in Some, at it sometimes in groups yeah there was a there was a time when i was writing four monthly books i want to say and uh or at the very least like three monthly books and then the odd mini series or you know whatever uh there were there was four comics worth of output coming out of my house every month uh, and I, I, there's no real set answer. It really depends on a lot of factors, but like, uh, I would say that I probably spend on average 40 hours on a screen. Okay. Right. Um, but there are exceptions like, um, master and apprentice, the GI Joe mini series, I want to say the first or second issue. And I was super excited to write it and, you know, a lot, it was really sort of cut from whole cloth in my head. Like I literally wrote an entire issue sitting at my mom's kitchen table in Stockton, California on Christmas Eve. <laughs> and it just came out, you know, I've written a script in six hours before. Uh, and it wasn't complete garbage, <laughs> surprisingly enough. I love those uh, moments. Yeah, of, so it, of just, it varies. Yeah. I love those serendipitous moments where you can just kind of sit down and it's like a, a faucet left on just, pour it all out onto a page and I've had that happen a few times. So I'm not lucky enough to have that happen all the time, but there's been a few projects where it's been, like you say, cut from whole cloth and it was just neat. Yeah. yeah I wish it happened more often, but it's fun when it does. It would be nice. Uh, the writer's block is kind of a bear sometimes. So yeah, I don't, um, I, I, it's not that I don't believe in writer's block because it is very much a, a thing. And I, I will say too that, you know, there's been a lot of talk lately about how this quarantine situation can sort of cloud your mind mm. and, and get you real mixed up in your head. And I, I, I will 100% cop to experiencing that. Um, but I, for me, like I am very meticulous about outlining and, and that sort of thing. So I, I'm real good about leaving myself breadcrumbs and having a roadmap to work from so that I can mitigate those moments of, of writer's block and get past them quickly. Yeah, I've been doing that too. And in fact, uh, I was driving to work the other day and uh, I live in Olympia uh, and I've been working in the Snohomish area just because that's where the work's at right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it gives me a good hour and 45 minutes some mornings worth of uh, driving. And usually the coffee hasn't kicked in at that point. I'm a little bit of a zombie, but 
the other morning, I don't know what happened, but I'm driving up and I get this idea fully formed in my head for a short film, which I haven't done short films since college. Mm -hmm. And this idea just pops into my head. And so as soon as I get to work, I sit down and I start uh, uh, a small outline just of, of key plot points. And by the time you know, the day was over, I have the full outline for the entire short movie uh, set up and ready to go. And, and I'm starting scripting on that probably in the next day or so. So it's amazing how quickly a project can come about. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I've, I've been working, uh, well, I'm currently on furlough from Funko, but uh, I get to write a lot of fun stuff at Funko. It's right there in the name. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> I uh, I did one day, I, I, I can't even, I don't even think I can say what it was I wrote, but it was one of those things where I was all caught up on everything, and I decided to just try my hand at something that I thought we would probably need at some point, uh, and I was, I literally sat down to write some notes, and then I had a 15-page script by the time I left <laughs> that day. That's so awesome. And I, I showed it to my producer, and I was like, hey this just happened. <laughs> this just <laughs> fell out of my head. Uh, do you want to take a look at it? And she came back and she's like, this, how long did it take you to write this? I was like, since lunch. And she just stared at me, you know, like, okay. Uh, and so had she said, Oh no, this is unreadable nonsense. I would have, I would have been like, okay. Yeah, no, I get that, that, that okay. tracks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but I guess it wasn't, or she's a really good liar. <laughs> Well, we're going to take a real brief break, uh, throw a commercial in here, and uh, we'll be right back with uh, Brandon Jerwa. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one convenient place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All right, we are back with Brandon Jerwa. Brandon? Uh, hi. Hi. Um, so... I, I was telling you uh, before we started the podcast that uh, uh, I was really particular and partial to the the run you did on Battlestar Galactica. Uh, yes. you, you did season zero, and and there was another one, wasn't there? The I did. Uh, I did season zero. I did Tom, the Tom Zarek miniseries. Tom Zarek, that's what it was. Yeah, uh, a Pegasus one shot. Uh, I oh, I did something else, and now I can't remember what it was. Oh, Ghost. Mm, uh, we did a yeah, we yeah. did a, a mini series called Ghosts that was actually I was they came to me and said we want you to do something that is away that takes place during the show but is away from the the main cast and like has new characters so that was fun but a little scary. No, that's awesome. And in fact, uh, I I dug through my uh, my collection uh, yesterday uh, in preparation and I found uh, two of the books that I had had signed from you and I sat down and reread them. And uh, actually it was a, as issue one and issue two of uh, season zero, which focused on a younger 
uh, Commander Adama and uh, yes. his rescue of his former CO and and uh, it was it was it was cool. It was really cool. And just reading it, knowing that I know the guy that wrote that, it's just like okay, yeah, <laughs> I, I could kind of see you in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I um, couple things about season zero. One, uh, Dynamite really put a lot into the launch of that. Uh, and there, were, there was a, a weird sort of like, I was given a little bit of a marching order that they wanted me to figure out a way to put Cylons in it, which is not easy. Uh, and it, what's funny is that, you know, all these Galactica books were written while the show was happening. Mm-hmm. So keep in mind, like, I don't know who the final five Cylons are. I don't know what's going to happen. I think um, when I was writing season zero, I think I want to say that it was around the time that uh, New Caprica was happening. Okay. uh, On the TV show. And that was one of the rare occasions where they actually sent me a script in advance and I knew what was going to happen. And I hated it because I read it and it was so good (laughs) that as a fan, I was just like, damn it. Because that Cause then I, you had that moment spoiled for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. In fact, the moment, uh, the <laughs> the moment uh, that was really the the heartbreaker for me was that moment in New Caprica when when the Galactica jumps in real low, you know, mm-hmm. uh, into the into the atmosphere, and I I remember yelling, "Holy shit!" Uh, and <laughs> into an empty house. And, and throwing the script across the room because I didn't want to read anymore. I was just beside myself. Um, so knowing sucks sometimes. Uh, and by the way, <laughs> that is the one thing I've learned about Funko in the very short time that I worked there before we got furloughed and I'll be back, you know, but uh, is that everything I love will be ruined for me forever. I'll be spoiled for everything because <laughs> I see all the words that go on the boxes. So like, like I've, I've well, let's just say I've seen a lot of product for things that you have not seen a lot of product for. And there are times when I avert my eyes, like Ghostbusters is my favorite movie. Oh yeah. And I don't think I'm breaking any confidence to tell you there are some Ghostbusters items around, you know. Well, we got a new movie coming, so right, right. And I try to literally avert my eyes anytime (laughs) I walk by somebody working on them because I don't like that one's gonna be the tough one for me. Is like how can I proof this package? How can I double check all those texts without looking at anything? (laughs) Um but I I won't have to deal with that for a while, obviously. Um but yeah, Galactica like that was a thing too where uh I was a fan of the show from the get-go, like I watched it first night, you know, that it was on and, and Dynamite had announced that they uh, had the license and I reached out to them and and said, hey, could I work on this? And they're like, well, no, we've got Greg Pack. You may have heard of him. I was like, yeah, he's pretty good. So <laughs> they already had him locked down uh, to launch the series and he did that. And then they came to me a while later and gave me a list of characters. They're like, you want to do Baltard? You want to do Starbuck? You want to do Six? And I saw Tom Zarek. I'm like, that one's for me. Uh, which ended up being great because, you know, I ended up being friendly with Richard Hatch and uh, he of course was Apollo when we were kids. Uh, And he, he he would do amazing, amazing things to sort of proselytize the the Zarek book. He, He loved that book and really was a great promoter of it. He was selling copies of it on the fan cruises and, Anytime we were at the same con, he'd come find me, and I just 
a, a wonderful, if nothing else, that that experience of getting to know him uh, was really, really fantastic because no one loves Battlestar Galactica more than Richard Hatch. No, I guarantee you. that's a fact. And in fact, I remember distinctly going to, I, I want to say it was one of the earlier Ace Comic-Cons maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an early Comic-Con. It wasn't uh, Emerald City, but uh, I went and... Uh, my my super big get for that comic con was to uh, to introduce myself to Jeremy Bullock and get Jeremy Bullock's autograph, uh, the man nice. who played Boba Fett in the, the Empire Strikes Back. And so uh, while I was waiting for him, the guy sitting at the table next to him was Richard Hatch, and this was of course before uh, the new Battlestar had even been. I mean, I mean, it had probably been thought about. It just hadn't been released to the public yet. So we very much <laughs> only had original Battlestar. And then Battlestar, what was it, 1980, whatever it was. 1980. Was it 1980? Okay. Yeah, yeah, Galactica 1980. He was, again, a huge promoter of, like you said, he's one of the biggest fans of Galactica, and he's sitting there meeting people and shaking shaking hands and just an all-around good dude. And I I remember at that point, I hadn't been huge into the original Battlestar Galactica. I always thought it was a little bit uh, camp for my taste, but... Uh, I, I mean, I got into it later in life and it was really cool to see the continuation of him into the new Battlestar, into the role of Tom Zarek, because uh, especially in the interplay between him and Leah Dama, um, who's of course playing oh God, yes. his character um, on the <laughs> new series. So seeing uh, Apollo talk to Apollo, it was just, it was, it was, it was kind of a, a really cool moment. And I actually, We've been watching the series again um, because of my son's 15 now and he's never seen it. And knowing him and knowing what he likes in sci-fi, I'm like, this is right up your alley, kid. You got to watch this. And we're actually, the episode that we're on that we're going to be watching after I'm done with this podcast tonight is exactly the episode you were just talking about when, when Battlestar jumps into New Caprica. And oh, God, it's the best. It's such a cool moment. You're absolutely right. But uh, I, I really fight like them until we can't. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I've got a an autographed picture somewhere of uh, Edward James almost, and me and my old bass player went to uh, Emerald City Comic Con at one point, and uh, we there wasn't a big line for Edward James almost, which I thought was regrettable. What? I know. <laughs> and and that I is had, sick and wrong. I had just gotten done talking to. Um, my bass player, uh, his name is Josh. I had just gotten done talking to Josh because I was like, look, the thing I really thought was really hard about watching Battlestar Galactica is because my stepdad looks a lot like Edward James almost. And he's like, Oh my oh. God. What's that like when you're in trouble? <laughs> well, let me tell you, it was, it was strange because Every time that uh, Bill Adama gets mad and yells and gets that stern expression on his face like he does, I've seen it before. Yeah. <laughs> this, this has all been done before. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was trying to see if I had a picture of him, but uh, I don't seem to have a picture of my pop right now on my phone. Um, so, I, but, I grew uh, up loving Miami Vice, so I already knew to be scared of Edward James almost as an authority <laughs> figure. <laughs> You know, you don't want him to give that look. You don't want him to say, Crockett, Tubbs, come in my office, right? Like, you know, you're in trouble. But when he, uh, the moment that got me is, uh, 
uh, after he came back um, and, and rescued his his son off of uh, Kobe, you would have to ask me. Kobe. Yeah, 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 yeah. When he went back to to reget, you know, uh, Laura Roslin and his son off of Kobe, and his son was just been a traitor in that that initial tension between meeting them and then seeing his face break as he grabbed his son and hugged him so mm-hmm. tight and it's just like oh god dad ah yeah yep yep <laughs> but and then again of course the 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 scene where he smashes that that model ship that he's been building cuz he's so uh frustrated and angry and just i've seen that too so <laughs> it's very strange yeah yeah, yeah I, for sure i showed my friend lee a picture of that and i said look this looks like my dad and i she's like holy shit you're apollo and i'm like not really <laughs> But anyways, I could babble about that shit forever. So, <laughs> but uh, okay, we're gonna take uh, one more quick break, and then we're gonna come back. And uh, I got a topic I want to talk to you about. I, I've got a few uh, uh, insights that I want to have uh, explored with you. So, uh, okay. stick around. We'll be right back. Voting isn't just going to the polls on election day. Options like early voting, mail-in voting, and ballot drop boxes are available to more voters and are growing in popularity. How to Vote, a tool created by Democracy Works, breaks down the options your state offers for casting a ballot, empowering you to decide when and where to vote. Democracy works best when we all vote, but misinformation and confusion about election procedures have resulted in low voter turnout. How to Vote is easy to use and helps folks from all over the country overcome many of the process barriers to voting. Democracy Works is committed to helping you vote no matter what. You can sign up for election reminders, see what's on your ballot, get step-by-step assistance requesting your mailing ballot, explore your options for returning your voted mail ballot, check your voter registration status, find your polling site, and make sure you have the appropriate ID. Decide when and where you'll vote this year at howto.vote. Uh, welcome back. Uh, so I had a conversation I thought I'd, I, that was really interesting. Now, you being someone who's worked a lot with uh, licensed properties, as we've determined, um, Highlander, Bionic Woman, Battlestar Galactica, G.I. Joe, the list goes on, Army of Darkness. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day. It's like, cause I was thinking in particular with some uh, changes to things that I grew up with, things that I enjoyed that didn't go so well. Uh, and in particular, I was having a conversation with uh, a buddy of mine who owns a toy shop down here in Olympia. And uh, we were talking about Thundercats. And in particular, uh, the travesty that looks to be Thundercats roar, which is the new, uh, weirdly animated spin-off revamp. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I just I saw an ad for that the other day. It looks like Adventure Time slash Steven mm-hmm, Universe mm-hmm. slash Thundercats, and throwing a bit of Teen Titans Go mixed in there. And sure, um, I, as a real big fan of the original Thundercats as a child, and then um, I even really enjoyed the uh, the new series that came out back in I think it was 2011. Oh, I I liked that a lot, actually. And that got canceled way before its time. Of uh, <laughs> I started thinking about this, and it's just the the question that I would have is, uh, while being reverent to the source material, uh, what kind of responsibility do you think that uh, creators have towards 
what has come before when creating something new. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, no, I no, I understand this this conundrum uh, very very well. Uh, I've been living it for many many years. Uh, you know, it's 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 interesting because I think it's a real double edged sword for everyone involved. Because let's well let's take Battlestar Galactica. Okay. Um, for every for every person who came to my table at a convention and said, "Oh my God." I'm a huge Battlestar fan. I love the new version or said, I love both versions. Mm -hmm. So for, for every one of those, I would equally get always a guy uh, <laughs> who would come up to my table. Let me see if I can guess. Around. Let me see if I can guess. Why did they have to make Starbuck a girl? Yeah, you got it. You yeah, got it, buddy. Jesus. No, like I, I had a guy look me in the eyes. He goes, yeah, this looked pretty good until I figured out that they made Starbuck a chick. And I just looked at him like that so that you 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 agree this looks good, except for this hang up you have about the gender of this character. And like <laughs> I and I I have definitely I there are people out there, G.I. Joe fans, Galactica fans, fans of whatever you want to name that's an established property, who hate something I did because it doesn't hit that perfect personal note of nostalgia for them or, or takes it to a place that they, they feel doesn't fit in with the, you know, the established thing that they have in their head, headcanon. Um, and, and it's tough because I don't want to be the one to say to somebody, Hey, I don't care about what's in your head <laughs> uh, because I'm a guy who's lucky enough to be able to take the things that are in his head and put them on paper and people accept them most of the time as being connected to the thing they're supposed to be connected to. Right. I, I, so it's, it's hard for me to say, well, I don't care about your ideas because <laughs> mine are the ones that got printed, but <laughs> it, it's, it's more like uh, people get hung up on the weirdest things and, and, you know, like Thundercats, that, that Thundercats thing. Okay, I look at that, and I, it doesn't appeal to me, but it's not for me, right? It's not aimed at me. Right. And if it means that the world gets Thundercats, a thing I like very much, uh, if it means that they learn about Thundercats if a different generation learns... I'm fine with that. Now, I, I do sometimes look at something like this, which I haven't seen and I can't judge. I can only take it, you know, face value on a commercial. But I look at it and, and I, I hope that the fundamental concept of Thundercats is there so at least they can understand what it started life as. Mm -hmm. Tonally and in terms of what they do with it from there is – you know, again, not for me and, and not really my concern or purview. I know that, that if you told me there was a new Thundercats cartoon coming out tomorrow that was driven the way that it was driven when we were kids, I'd be super excited about that because that, that would be for me. And I, I don't think that, I don't think that something being for me and something being for someone else, I, those two things don't have to be mutually exclusive. Right. Right. 
like you, I, I, I'm not going to diminish something that's not for me simply because it doesn't hit those notes for me. It may mean that I don't end up watching it. And I, I think that that's just as valid, you know, like if it's not for you, it's not for you. Uh, and, and if you don't enjoy it, then you don't enjoy it. And that's too bad. You still have the thing. Uh, and I, I don't remember which writer it was and it breaks my heart because it's such a, a good quote, but you know, somebody said, Oh, this movie ruined your book. He's like, no, 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 no. The book's right here. <laughs> See, it's still on the shelf. It's still exactly the same book every time you open it. And I, I guess as I get older and I, let's face it, I'm very, very old. Uh, <laughs> as I get older, I, I'm far less concerned about that. Like I didn't, I didn't love the female ghostbusters, but it isn't because I, had any problem with them being female. It isn't that I felt like my favorite movie was ruined because they rebooted it with, with women. I just didn't think it was that good of a movie. Yeah, and, exactly. And I felt I, I wanted better for the people involved. Cause I, I like every actor in that, in, in that reboot. I, I like everybody involved with it. They've all done things. I like, I, I just wish it had not been, been a little better, Yeah, but maybe I'm not, Maybe I'm not as objective as I could be because Ghostbusters is my favorite movie. We've been ta- I've been talking a lot uh, to people about things like uh, representation in media and where it where it's mm-hmm. hitting and where it's missing. And actually, what you just said uh, speaks a lot to a conversation that I had real recently about uh, the newer Star Wars trilogy. And, mm-hmm. and I was having a conversation. Of course, I'm I'm a I'm a Star Star Wars Star Trek person from way back. I think what they've Me been too. doing with Star Trek has been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Updating it, modernizing it for our modern sensibilities, I think they've done great. In fact, I had a rather lengthy conversation with BJ about that uh, last time I talked to him. But to take it back to Star Wars, now, I was a huge fan of uh, the original trilogy. Yep. Not, not so much a huge fan of the uh, prequel trilogy, but, you know... Uh, Same. Going into this uh, sequel trilogy, I was very open-minded, and more so than I've ever been in the past. Because it's exactly like you said; it's it's introducing something that I love, uh, not only to my kids, but to entire new generations of Star Wars fans. Mm-hmm. And 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 when I came out of uh, Rise of Skywalker. And I've, ta- I've talked about this before. I, uh, I come out of Rise of Skywalker and I'm still trying to process. That's a lot to process. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, I go to the bathroom. I come out of the ba- I'm washing my hands. I come out of the bathroom, drying my hands. And I can hear this, this kid right around the corner. And she's just effervescent about her love. Oh, my God. The Skywalkers were so cool. And, and I know she's talking about Jedi, you know. But this is. Yep, yep. And I had that that epiphanous moment where you go, this isn't for me. Maybe it's not for me. They weren't writing this for me. Yes, I'm an audience member. Yes, I'm enjoying it. And I, and I really did kind of have a uh, come to God meaning with that. Was going, <laughs> I need to stop being such a toxic fan myself. And I find myself in a position where I've been uh, negative and I've been toxic and i've been kind of a gatekeeper for what i deemed as important to me and my childhood and my youth um when in reality 
it's like you said, it's not just for me. It's, it's for someone else who's getting into it. And mm-hmm. if they get into it and they get the core concepts and then go back and get into everything I was into as a kid, who the hell am I to begrudge them that? And oh if- yeah. No. Yeah. And Star Trek, you, you mentioned Star Trek. It's a great example. Like I don't think, and granted, I think they could, and I think they should, but no 18-year-old, let's just, I'm, I'm randomly throwing out a number here. No 18-year-old is going to go back and watch classic Star Trek. It's hard to watch. Even if it's an it adult It looks old me. to them, right? Yeah. And, and I, again, I think they should. You know, like, why are you talking to me and not watching The Prisoner right now? Go do that. But um, I, you, you have to, you, you have to holy, holy. put things into the, the, the language and the currency of our times. And, and, you know, it's the same deal. I, I love, love that first JJ Abrams Star Trek movie. I love it. Crazy. I did too. I did too. Saw it several times in the theater. I've watched it. I mean, it is literally one of my top comfort food movies even now. That being said, into darkness, not so great beyond completely incomprehensible as far as I'm concerned. It's, <laughs> I, I just tried to watch that movie again the other night and I can't make heads or tails of it. I don't, I'm not sure it has a plot, but uh, I appreciate it for what it is. I enjoy discovery. Um, and I, you know, like I, some people don't, and that's fine. Like it's fine. If you don't like it, you don't like it. I mean, shut up about it, but <laughs> don't don't go yelling at other people's faces but you don't have to like it that's the other thing too is i think that the people get real wrapped up in this i have to like it and if i don't like it it's a failure nope you just don't like it yeah or they I mean, go in, they go into something uh expecting failure they go into something oh this is gonna yes. be a real piece of crap let's see how this fails yeah uh and i think a lot of people went into the, like sonic the hedgehog that way um I went into no. that with a, with an overwhelming <laughs> amount of, of support for that movie just because of what they did to service the fans. And I'll sure. tell you what, have you seen it? No. I recommend and it. I might be in it. What? This is a true story. Okay, a true story. Uh, uh, big weekend, actually, that, that weekend. I was in <laughs> uh, Vancouver, British Columbia uh, with my girlfriend and my daughter. And we were there for vacation. I, I want I want to say it was Maddie's birthday trip, maybe. Okay. Uh, a belated birthday trip. We got to Vancouver in the afternoon. Uh, we were staying at a, a new hotel, a hotel that had just opened up or was doing a grand reopening, some, some damn thing, downtown. And the, the bellhop said, hey, they're filming something a block over, like literally around the corner. Hmm. And it's Vancouver, so we're like, maybe it's Arrow, maybe it's Supergirl, maybe it's, you know, whatever. And we ended up in a street scene for Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, my God. Uh, and I have no idea if you can see us. Uh, and they had real cord. They, they, it was a great street scene. Like, the people who you thought were just looky-loos were actually all part of the coordinated thing. Now, uh, all we saw were some police cars that were not Vancouver police cars. They were whatever city. San Francisco, uh, and I it, think. Yeah, 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 San Francisco. And an overturned car in the middle of the street. I know exactly what scene it was. Okay. And again, I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know, but uh, there's a chance we're in that scene. I'm going to have to go back and watch it now just to check it, but I highly recommend it. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. And, and it's a chance to see Jim Carrey act like Jim Carrey acts. So that I mean, wouldn't be a bad thing. I, it, I, I like Jim Carrey, which is 
by the way, uh, movie I truly, truly hate with all of my heart is the cable guy. Oh yeah. I'm not a uh, fan and, either. And yet, and yet this is one of those weird things. I, I, I later wondered after watching that movie and like rage evacuating from the theater when it was done, I wonder if the fact that I hated it was actually a sign that Jim Carrey did his job. Cause he wasn't supposed to be a Cause it's not like character. you're supposed to like him. Yeah. Right. And if he got under my skin to such an extent that I truly despised him, perhaps I got acted at with real quality work and I, did, I didn't know how to handle it. I felt the same way about uh, Joaquin Phoenix when watching uh, um, Gladiator because uh, he plays oh, yeah. Emperor Commodus in that movie and and he was loathsome, completely loathsome. Yeah. And I walked out of that movie going, God, I hate that guy. Jesus, I hate him so much. And then I'm like, <laughs> I'm like wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. No, I don't. I hate Commodus through him. That's right. Yes. Holy shit. Like you said, I just got acted at. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, maybe that's it. But I highly recommend it. it, it it's a fun movie. My kids enjoyed it. And uh, it really, it just inoffensive, I guess. Inoffensive, which is, I guess, <laughs> as big a compliment as you could think of these days. So, but one uh, of my favorite, my, one of my favorite, uh, things to call a movie if it does not move me in any way shape or form but i'm not offended by it is tastefully inert <laughs> and i would just i describe a lot of movies as tastefully inert oh my goodness uh well i i want to uh kind of wrap things up here i know i've taken up a big chunk of your time and i, I definitely ah. do appreciate you coming on here i appreciate um, you having me uh is there anything else you kind of want to uh, get out there? Uh, any other new projects that you're working on you could talk about? or Not really. I mean, it's, you know, the, the stuff I do for Funko is not stuff you'll see until it exists, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm working on something for someone else at the moment that I also can't talk about. Uh, let's see. Let's see. What's a, what's a thing? Uh, yeah, no, I got nothing. Um, oh, I, well, I do, if you don't mind me, uh, if you don't mind me doing a little, uh, cross promotion no, no, on no, Wednesday on nights, on Wednesday nights, uh, I do a, a live stream show on Facebook where I get together with Tom Feaster and Robert Atkins, uh, and, uh, Carson the Taxis, uh, and we watch old GI Joe episodes on YouTube and crack wise about them. Uh, and you can, you can find that. I want to make sure I give the proper name here, uh, cause it live streams. Uh, and, and yes, I know where it live streams. I just want to make sure that, uh, yeah. So you want to look up, uh, 3djoes.com on Facebook okay. and Wednesdays, uh, Wednesdays at 5 30 PM Pacific. Uh, we live stream. We've got we've got some great guests lined up. Uh, we've had uh, we've had animators from the show. Um, we've had uh, we're going to have some potentially some voice actors from the classic GI Joe cartoon. Nice. Um, and uh, we had the, uh, the 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 character designer, and uh, it's it's really it's really a lot of fun and uh, good nostalgia. You know, like you say. Uh, 
Plus, that, that show's a little goofy, so there's lots to make fun of. <laughs> uh, with love, of course. Of course. Knowing is half the battle, they say. Uh, yes, the other half is not being able to hit anything with your laser gun. It's true. I learned that from Stormtroopers, too. But, uh, well, <laughs> they go to the same school. <laughs> Target practice, people. Target practice. Well, uh, Brandon, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on with us and, and just kind of waxing nerdy. Uh, I want to thank all of, of you for uh, sticking around for another episode of Feel Your Fandom. Got a few more great episodes this week alone uh, getting recorded. So this has been a very productive week for the podcast, and I'm very excited about that. And uh, again, like I said, you can go to anchor.fm forward slash Feel Your Fandom. Uh, you can favorite the show there and it'll send it all out to whichever podcasting platform you prefer to listen to. Uh, if you feel so inclined, you can leave messages for the show there. If you've got a comment about something that uh, we've talked about or uh, something that you feel like we should talk about, you could throw that in there. Uh, if you feel like donating to the show, hey, you can even do that there as well. We would definitely appreciate anything to keep the lights on at this point. Um, but I want to thank you for joining us again. and. Uh, stick around, uh, come back next week, and we will be having another one of these fabulous conversations. But until then, remember what I always say, uh, everything is fandom, and fandom is everything. Thanks. Thanks.